And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Thank you for face-hugging the download button, and welcome to another episode of When Did That Come Out? An ongoing two-man journey covering an entire year of film and 12 movies that came out for every month of that year. I'm your host, Charlie Stabile, joined as always by my good bud, William Rankin. Will, how you doing? I'm doing well. Was that intro, was that spontaneous, or was that like kind of written down somewhere? I don't reveal the secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Face-hugging the download, that's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it just came to me. Let's just go with that. I got you. Go for it. Go for it. That'll lead us into uh, what we're here to talk about. It's July of 1986, and we are covering James Cameron's sci-fi classic, Aliens. Will, what are your thoughts on James Cameron? Who? Oh, uh, oh, wait. Oh, I was thinking of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I was like, man, can you imagine? No, no, we already did that. We don't have to do that anymore. Can you imagine if that was was Ferris's buddy was James Cameron instead of Cameron? (laughs) (laughs) James Cameron Fry? Yes. All right. Um, uh, Did you ask me, were you asking about Cameron or asking about aliens? I forgot. I'm asking you about Cameron, first of all. Um, I think, uh, I thought a lot about this. I was walking the dogs. I was like, I'm going to formulate a a pretty good opening here. So, uh, (laughs) no, 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 no. I, I think one of the... One of the directors, like so many people want to compare somebody to, but it always falls short, is David Lean. David okay. Lean is a director that of mass epics that are highly regarded as some of the, the best of their kind in the history of cinema. And through the years, I think there have been attempts with people to try and like compare them some uh, compare a te- uh, compare a contemporary to him. I think the only one that measures up to him is James Cameron. Really, that's yes. a hell of a compliment. I, I really do like the, um, and you're going to get into this. I know talking about like when you compare like how many films he's directed versus somebody like Michael Bay. Michael Bay's the other one. I've people have I've, in a way. I forget if it's people or if I've heard like one spot before where I, I heard this comparison between David Lean and Michael Bay, and I was like, I, I can't, I can't say, I can't give that its due because I, I pretty much think James Cameron when it comes to when it comes to his action movies like. And and I guess not not just action, just all of his movies. Like the guy makes an ep- like every movie is an epic. It right. really is. And they mm-hmm. and I'd say ninety nine percent of them. And I think I'm only gonna leave out like Piranha two or yeah. Whatever. I don't even count it. Like mm-hmm. he calls his shot and he delivers. <clears throat> Practically every single time. Uh, I don't think that's that far off with Michael Bay. Um, I always looked at Michael Bay as. A guy who aped, he's basically an an amalgam of Tony Scott and James Cameron. That's what I always thought with him. Uh, Granted, he doesn't do it very well, Uh, and especially if you look at his later work. But his earlier work, it's stellar. Like, there are several Cameron-esque moments in Armageddon. uh, That that call back to him. I mean, you got the whole team of guys, as opposed to eight. Aliens. It's, it's that team of people, but uh, more so Tony Scott. I, I always looked at him as kind of a low rent Tony Scott, and he, he like Michael Bay knows how to stage an action action sequence, very similar to James Cameron, but he doesn't know how to add weight to it with um, character resonance, I guess, and that's that's where he falls short. And the David Lean comparison, I never really thought of that with uh, James Cameron, 
um, at least from a filmmaking standpoint, the the epic I get, I get that. Like even the Terminator, which I believe the original Terminator is his shortest movie, and yet it still feels huge, which is kind of remarkable because the budget was what six million dollars. Yeah, yes. I, it was so low, and and so I always, you know, Piranha Two. I've never even bothered to watch it because I've, I've heard nothing but. Bad things about it, and the, and the Cameron stories about how he broke into the editing room <laughs> trying to fix it. Uh, I do love that, but no. When I think of James Cameron, I think of Terminator to Avatar, and not including the movies that he wrote in between the movies that he had a hand in. Uh, movies like, let's see, Point Break. I think he had a hand in that, and Rambo Two, right. and and let's talk about this one real quick. He actually had a hand in Predator. Uh, which isn't talked about very much, but uh, James Cameron is the reason the Predator has mandibles. And I got you. I, I always thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, he's like, that's that's cool. And of course, you know, we know what happens to both of those franchises later on down the road. But that that that's a whole other story. Um, so Aliens came out in 1986. This was seven years after the original film, and. Which is a long time. That's a long time, even nowadays, for a sequel. Like, it's just, it's just way too long, uh, in in most cases. Uh, Ridley Scott, who he's a hit or miss director, as we always say. Uh, I've always thought he hit it out of the park with Alien. So J- James Cameron was going to shoot Aliens at Pinewood, where the original was shot. And unfortunately for James Cameron, he had to work with the same crew that worked on the original, and that crew of guys were massive loyalists to Ridley Scott, which James Cameron had to combat. Uh, I mean, they didn't even want to hear from him. They didn't even want to see Terminator. They're like, no, there's no way you're going to make a good movie here. But against all odds, kind of did. Last thing I'll say before we dive into it, did you know that that thing I I sent you about James Remar? No, I didn't know that about Remar. I'm not surprised because I I could just see, I could see instantly them clashing because because I think, because I think Remar, he's a Walter Hill guy. Walter Hill right. was all to, like had his hand in the first one, kind of. You know, it was it was really going to be his movie, and then oh yeah, and then it it wasn't. <laughs> he's still technically a producer on it and everything. I think Walter Hill is. So I'm kind of not surprised because it. I think, I think it's possible, not for sure, that it ties into what you were just talking about with the crew being Ridley Scott guys. You know, that mm-hmm. same sort of thing. Like, I'm sure, you know, and it's it's not one of those, it's one of those things that if this was being made today, we would hear all about it day in and day out. It's like the the rift, it's the alien versus aliens camps that are oh, on sure. set. I'm sure that was prevalent back then. So I'm not surprised, but I was, I thought that name was interesting that came up was Remar. I know. Um, and I don't think he would have been a bad choice. I've always liked James Remar, especially in 48 Hours when he, when he played uh, Gans. He's, he's a really good actor. And the thing that's weird about the about this story is that um, you know there's a lot of parables to the the Vietnam War and stuff like that. So a lot of the actors were allowed to write their own phrases on their costumes for aliens. And <laughs> there's one exception to that, and that's Michael Bean. Michael Bean had to wear the costume that was designed for James Remar, and and everything that's written on uh, Colonel Hicks's costume is from James Remar. Oh, right on. Right on. Yeah, so that's that's a weird little holdover. And I don't remember exactly what it was, what the fallout was. 
as to why Remar couldn't do it. But it all, I think it all worked out in the end. <laughs> I must oh, say. Ter- I mean, because remember, like this is no, this isn't the start. This is the this is the follow up in the this is the next line of Michael Bean and Bill Paxton team ups in movies. So, right. you know, no, and that's great, and. And yeah, and, and whereas Walter Hill has guys like James Remar in his wheelhouse, James Cameron, I mean, you'll, you'll notice very similar actors in this in these movies. Uh, Michael Bean and Bill Paxton, of course, are both in Terminator. And I just made this connection for some reason. But, you know, my two favorite female characters are Sarah Connor and Ellen Ripley. And Michael Bean's had them both. <laughs> that's, that's pretty badass. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah go, Michael Bean. Um, so... Well, what is interesting to you about the alien concept? Is there anything interesting to you about the alien concept? Um, well, it, I think for for me, like it's it we we have another impressive subgenre here. Uh, this is the subgenre that is uh, nine people out of the group. Nine out of ten people in the group wanted to kill the big, ugly, terrible, monstrous alien thing that wants to kill us all, except for one who wants to try and make money off of it. I love this subgenre. It pops well, up every now and then. Oh, it's the whole franchise. You know, like, it's... It it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's re- it, 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 every, every so often, there's this movie, I kind of put it... It's not quite People from Hell subgenre, <laughs> but it's one of those, you know? It, it, kind, kind of a lesser version of People from Hell. And, and, um, and that's that's what I don't know why that's the first thing I always think of. And it's un, the most unlikely actor of all to play that is Paul Reiser. What do you think of Reiser in this movie? Um, He's fine. I mean, I think he fits. He to me, he's like he's I I don't know how different he is in this compared to like Beverly Hills Cop or Beverly Hills Cop 2. You know what I mean? Right, because those are the other movies I think of when I think of Paul Reiser and Diner, yeah. but like Diner's different. Oh, Diner's great. But I, yeah. I, I honestly feel like he's like he's not that far removed from it. So, um, but the other thing, like honestly, I, I think of when it comes to all this is I can't help but think of something you'll want to talk about later are the games. Like I, Alien vs Predator, was in um, all those even Alien vs Predator. There was um, I'm trying to think there were there were multiple of these a- alien games that would come out sure. in the in the 90s late 90s and early 2000s that were so much fun to play and I oh, remember yeah. I, I played a lot of these before I saw the movie I don't and think then, you're alone on that yeah um, I remember being in high school and a lot of people loved alien versus predator like they love that stuff they love the concept and I was surprised to learn that a lot of the, these people had never even seen an alien movie. They'd seen Predator. Everyone, I think everyone has seen Predator, but a lot of the people hadn't seen Alien, and I was just kind of thrown by that. Just, well, how do you like it? Because what I always liked about Alien was the character of Ellen Ripley, and that's what I always found the most interesting. It's like, because, I mean, for me, without a human character that you can you know, gravitate towards and relate to, uh, I, I just can't get invested that much. And that's, now I think that's one of the things that for me hurts the predator franchise is that, and, and helps it in a way is that every single one of those movies is a standalone. The first, you know, the three predator movies, and there's no returning cast members in any of them. So it's like, ah, oh, I got, I got to learn this shit all over again. All right. But, um, the, yeah, the video games did have a big impact and yeah, we can, we can get into that later. What is this fascination? with weaponizing monsters because jurassic world when i figured out that that movie was doing it i was like are you kidding me like, <laughs> like this is such a, a cliche 
and Alien did this to death. I'm sorry. All four of the original Alien movies have this subplot going on with Wayland Utani. Why do you think this is? And how does it make any sense? I, I, it doesn't. Like I mean, like it always comes back to like I mean I, I again I was thinking about like with Lost World. It's like well, why don't we bring the T Rex back to the mainland and put it in the zoo? Brilliant. Like that. There's no <laughs> problems with that whatsoever. It's. I think though, like it speaks to almost like uh, maybe specifically in this movie, but you know how. Again, one of the one of the big points you want to talk about the movie is the Vietnam subplot, but like the Vietnam kind of aspect of the movie. But I, I think there is like in a lot of these movies a commentary on sort of American bravado, even though the characters may sure. not necessarily be American. Like it is a commentary on sometimes how like we really think that we can honestly just go in there and we're gonna we're gonna take this thing out of its foreign land. Like look at King Kong. Like, for yep. God's sakes, like, we've been doing it for, like, since the 30s. We've been doing these types of movies where it's like, well, we can do this, and then we can try and take it out of its land and use it for our own gain, and it'll be fine. Like, nobody really thinks about the end game here. In any of these movies, again, from the subgenre of let's take it out, let's take it out of the playpen and see what it can do. No, no, just leave it alone. No, so, and, and the thing that, that's, that's always a downer is that there isn't a single one of these sequels to any types of these movies where <laughs> the monsters are weaponized. Right. You know, it, it never happens. And the thing that confuses me about Alien or Aliens is, is the universe of it where it really seems like humanity is in a good place in and of itself. So I don't really know who it is that humanity is going to war with um, that would require, well, let's just bring in the xenomorphs. And, and and have them wipe each other out. There seems to be a, a kind of racial harmony going on throughout the entire series. It's it's things that aren't human that all the characters have problems with, whether they're xenomorphs, androids, stuff like that. Um, and I think maybe that's why they call it a xenomorph. I think there because the, there is a level of xenophobia that goes throughout these movies, in particular in Aliens, with right. um, Ellen Ripley's relationship with Bishop. Uh, and Lance Henriksen is just fantastic in this movie. I, it, it's it, he's he's so he's such an underrated actor. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I always think of this movie and Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth, and <laughs> just <laughs> how cool he is in that. And that movie's terrible, but he's great in that, and he can do something like that and Bishop. But um, so let, let's 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 get into this for for a bit. Um, I have always looked at this movie uh, more about motherhood than anything else about Ripley and her being a mom and then there's the alien queen and this is where I, I tend to lean towards preferring aliens as opposed to alien as much as I love alien and aliens great being a basically a haunted house movie in space and just uh, and it has a lot of horror movie qualities to it aliens has a lot more going on in terms of subtext and things that that you can pay attention to and and gravitate towards and this is like the theme of the movie i always found and i and i find it really fascinating because ripley by the end of the movie commits genocide <laughs> against an, an entire race yeah yeah and, and we're okay with it and the queen was like totally cool with letting her go like the queen was not gonna was like pretty much like oh yeah i mean i, I never really thought about that until this time when i watched <laughs> that they were no you're right that um shit doesn't hit the fan until Ripley just decides, nah, let him cook. 
but they're going to let her walk out of that room right. with with Newt. And I find that very interesting because the, we always think of the xenomorph or the alien as something that just is just kill, 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 colonize, repeat, repeat. But this is a level of, um, I guess, I don't know the correct word, sentient, even though that's more towards like robotic uh, right. things of that nature. But like that's what it is. It's, it's almost a level of self-awareness that is, it really isn't seen in any any of the other films. It's just like, wow, there's actually a little bit of humanity. That's the word. In, I was, that's the word I was thinking you were going to use was humanity, and that's I think that's well, the best one. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting, and Ripley's just not having it. Uh, I, I really I really love that, and it's really kind of fascinating to me that the two different James Cameron is one of those directors like much like Ridley Scott where there's multiple versions of his movies and the difference is the extended version for James Cameron movies is always better <laughs> always and aliens is, I think is a prime example of that because the entire subplot of Ripley uh, not only being gone for 57 years uh, away from earth but losing her daughter in the process that entire subplot is removed so <laughs> and people who went and saw this in the theater in July of 86 would go see this movie and they'd just be like, well, why, why does she care so much about this little girl? <laughs> I just, it doesn't really make much sense other than, well, you want to protect the kid, but no, there's a lot more to it than that. There's I a lot think more that's going a, on. That's clearly like a, like a massive sexism type of thing. Cause it's like, well, she's a woman. So like, you know, she's motherly, you know, like that's, oh, it's good. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that seems yeah, like no, that would right, be the, though. Because you could, I could see them looking at the the full print of it, and they're like, "Well, we don't really need this subplot. I mean, like, it's pretty much understood. Like, you know, she's a women are mothers, right? So, like, you know, she'll want to protect <laughs> right. the girl, and that's it. You know, <laughs> this this isn't just Stallone. This is Stallone from Cobra. <laughs> I, I feel like if Sylvester Stallone played Tom Cruise's part in Tropic Thunder, that's who this would be. <laughs> no, that's good. Um... I think these movies are very much about sexism because Ripley isn't always, she isn't just battling xenomorphs through uh, these, through the franchise, but she's battling men and not just men, but men that are in power. Hell, even in aliens during the, the board meeting scene where they're basically telling her that, you know, you're going to go psychic eval. You're not going to be commanding any ship. There is, there is one woman at that table and she looks nothing like a woman. <laughs> she's got she's got the Lloyd Christmas haircut with 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 like the bangs that come down over her ears. It's just there is a level of sexuality that I think is is almost removed in this movie and in other movies later, but in particularly like this one. One of the most badass characters in the movie is Vasquez, and you know, there's even a line that Hudson has where he asks her if he, she's ever been mistaken for a man. Yeah, he's he seems to be the only Hudson seems to be the only character who could possibly be from our time, you know, yeah, just totally. who's still stuck in this mindset of of being sexist and and ridiculous. But that's that's one of the things I find fascinating uh, about these movies. Um, also, the way that the, the movies deal with childbirth, I I love how this is done. How with humans, it's it's traditionally a very natural thing it's two consenting adults it's great and then there's xenomorphs who get the job done by rape that's what it is it's face rape and it's terrifying because this is one case in rape and i, I remember seeing this in a documentary he goes 
I wanted to scare the hell. I don't remember who said it because I wanted to scare the hell not only out of women but out of men. That went, you know, rape is a fear that is predominantly for women. Absolutely, but with the concept of alien, it is now geared towards men. Yeah. And and there is a there, you know, it's not just rape; it's an impregnation, and it leads to your death, and it's horrifying. And and you know, childbirth is a beautiful thing, not when it's a xenomorph. It is one of the most disgusting things ever put on film, and I love it. I do. It, it is it is beautiful filmmaking that Ridley Scott perfected and and James Cameron. I mean, just that little action did a great job egg, with when it. the when the egg just unfolds. That still gets me every single time. I I watch one of these movies and that egg opens up. I'm like, oh Jesus! And you know what movie almost ruined it for me was the first Alien versus Predator because when the face hugger jumped out of the egg, they slow moed it. They um, and I've only seen this movie once and that was in the theater, but they slow moed it as it was coming towards the face. I'm like. No, no, that that ruins the scare. I mean, remember the first time John Hurt got it in the original film? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, and the sound that it made, and it, it was just terrifying. The, so yeah. the game, the game, I I will never forget like that game because I, I put the the first one I played was one for the Sega Saturn, I think it was, mm-hmm. and I remember like it was the first time I'd ever played a game where it's like I don't want to play this at night because it really is it's a little more than I can handle because like and and I know this part of your outline and get late get into it later is about like just like all the little things that 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 Cameron really added to it like for one thing this movie feels like I'm in, I feel like I'm in the dark or I have one light around from a character that's lighting everything. <laughs> it's- so it's terrifying. it's a survival horror game. And then that yeah. that that radar like the mo- the motion detector just mm-hmm. like you have no idea where it's coming from. And the fact that it's this little crawly thing and that I remember in the oh my god, in the game when it would jump at you, like it would just run up and down the screen when it's got you. Now granted, in the game, like it just falls off and like it tries to get you again. Like it doesn't like in the movie, like once it gets you, done. It you're done. Mm-hmm. But in the game, just to see that thing like just all over your face, like, oh my god. Like like even just even in that game, but but that before seeing the movie, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty terrifying. Like they, they really do a good job of creating, uh, creating terror throughout both these, both of the movies, alien and aliens. And this one in particular, cause I, I don't remember, was the motion sensor part of the first one? The, the, the radar you mean? Yeah. I don't remember. No, I don't think was it was added. Okay. Like James Cameron added his own little flourishes. Like, like, like this is a great example. Um, I, I was always under the assumption like, uh, James Cameron added the alien queen. Like that's absolutely him. But here's something that I thought he added, but he he didn't. Um, when they come across the humans that are being cocooned, uh, that was never in the original Alien. And I was like, oh, James Cameron's really taking this to another level. Turns out it was in the original Alien. It's in the director's cut of the film, and it's a great scene. You see one guy cocooned, and it's Tom Skerritt. It's Dallas, and and he actually utters the words, "Kill me." Which James Cameron must have gotten a hold of that and went, oh yeah, that's going in this movie. Like that's one thing about this about Aliens that I think is just wonderful and something that all sequels should aspire to do is take the established characters and just add to the add to the myth, add to the lore, and make it make it more real, make it more interesting. You know, because in the original Alien, I mean, it's it's just a it's a mystery. It's they don't go into any kind of explanation about it. It's kind of like Tremors, you know. It's just like we just got to deal with it. That's right, it. Right. But in Aliens, like they they added such an interesting level of plot 
to what it is to to be a xenomorph. Like I've always kind of been confused about how you know birth, death, how any of this stuff happens with it. So, uh, so the alien queen lays an egg, egg hatches, this thing comes out, gets on you, impregnates you, and then that thing dies. But the thing that pops out of the chest is 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 the real baby. Right. Like, it's so incredible. It's kind of like it's a weird. Confused about that. Yeah. It's weird. It's like double metamorphosis mm-hmm. almost. Like right. It, it's incredible. Because mm-hmm. like once the once the face hugger does its thing, it's done. Like right. That's it's it. It's done. It's crazy. Like it's a really interesting concept because I I can't remember some examples off the top of my head, but there are a lot there are a lot of other alien esque knockoffs that it's pretty simple. It's just. That thing impregnates, moves on, and then there, there's not as many stages to it. So right, there's a lot of stages to this thing, and done in, in basically basically one movie. Basically, in one movie, like we're we're told everything we need to know about the alien and, and what it is. Now, where the alien queen came from, I have no idea. But you now, these movies have always dealt with sexuality, and it's H.R. Uh, Geiger is the one who the guy who uh, created the, the designs for the xenomorphs. And, if, I mean, if you pop in Alien now, everything looks like a vagina. Every single thing. Mm-hmm. Even, even so, they, they wouldn't allow uh, Ridley Scott to form the eye in Alien in the title sequence the way that it's formed in Aliens because they thought it looked like a vagina, which it did. But it's, it's a two-pronged effect. They, they get away with it because it looks like an egg. Right. But... Right. But it absolutely looks like a vagina. And and you see the xenomorph's head looks like a penis. Right. It's yeah. exactly what it is. Uh, it's I, the, That's why these first two movies I, I just find so interesting. And I can keep coming back to them over and over and over again. As opposed to three and four, which just really kind of crap the bed on the entire franchise. Right. Yeah, right. I'm not going to defend those movies. but and, and, and when people think of this franchise when they think of alien they they think of these first two movies and i truly do believe they think of this second movie now this as i said before first movie being a haunted house movie in space and with with what they call um retro futurism which i uh, it's a great term i love that everyone thinks the future is just going to look amazing and it's just like no it's 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 almost kind of got a firefly thing going on here where something got lost along the way and Aliens is a, I mean, it's got horror elements, but let's not kid ourselves. For the most part, it is a straight up balls to the wall action movie. And this is James Cameron's specialty. And wanting to use it or use Vietnam as kind of a backdrop of, of how to get get this movie across. And we're sending in these these overconfident Marines that don't really know what it is they're getting into. And that's one thing I really like about this movie is the doubt in everyone's character about Ripley's story is pretty much gone the second that they get on that planet. You know, we don't have to waste a lot of time with people going, oh, Ripley, you're out of your mind. You know, like, that right. didn't Which, happen. I mean, there's so many movies and shows where it, it's, it's mind-numbing how they, they want to keep that going. How stupid characters are. Yeah. You know, they're just dumb. Like, I, I, And I do like that it's the Marines. The, the Marines are skeptical as opposed to the corporation, which is just dumb. Like, like who could make up a story like this that when, when she goes through the events of the first movie? But when the Marines first go into that corridor and see all the stuff that's just wrong, and they immediately find the acid blood, which is a great defense mechanism. I remember that was a line, and it is. Uh, 
and it would kill us in the video games. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, acid blood. I can't shoot it too close. But the doubt is immediately gone, and they're buying into it. Now, <clears throat> oh, where to take it from here? There's, <clears throat> um, in terms of the character of um, Ellen Ripley, so Sigourney Weaver didn't really want to come back and do this, surprisingly. I think she was busy doing uh, stage work at the time. And lo and behold, she does this movie. She has an entire subplot removed, and she still gets an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress, which is incredible for a, a science fiction action movie. And this is the fundamental difference, I think, between someone like Michael Bay and someone like James Cameron. Is on the surface level, yes, it is an action movie. But there is so much good stuff going on in between. And just from a writing standpoint, from how the editing in this movie is, is great. Like it's, 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 it's hard for me to find a knock against it. Honestly... When I think of a complaint that I have about this movie, it would be this. James Cameron didn't start shooting in the letterbox widescreen format, 2351, I believe, until I want to say it was The Abyss, which was his next movie. So Terminator and this are both in the matted widescreen format. And this is the only alien movie that isn't in the letterbox format. And it's, I, I can't help but think it would have been so much better had he caved and gone with that you know because it, that that can help with that david Le david lean-esque look yeah that, that we were talking about earlier and as opposed to how claustrophobic the movie feels which might have been that might have actually been a choice on his part right of you know to make the screen smaller because a lot of the a lot of the scenes where there's gunfire happening and there's alien close-ups they are close-ups you know they're very tight shots and that either that's a choice or that's we don't want to reveal, you know, the strings that are on these things. Which yeah, if you have the high def version of this movie, you can definitely see strings on certain things. But yeah, there's a practicality to it that is very very good, especially in the scene where Ellen and Newt are trying to avoid the two face huggers in the room, which might be the most tense scene in the whole movie. The way that they do that with the thing crawling on the floor, I forget how. The, how it was done, but it had something to do with reversing the film, they, which is one of my favorite movie tricks. Yeah, they, where it was like pulled backwards, but they just reversed it and it looked like it was going forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the legacy of the of the flick. Um, we talked about the video game, so so let so let's go all in on the video games here. Uh, I felt like I I had seen this movie before I ever saw it. Because I grew up with video games like Doom and Duke Nukem, stuff like that. And Doom is all about a space marine who's stuck on Mars. And it's like, okay, there's the space marine part. And the, the guns, the guns that you could use in that game were very cool, very alien-esque. I can't remember a non-alien game, unfortunately, that didn't have the pulse rifle, which is one of the coolest guns I've ever seen in a movie, where it... The sound effect of the of the machine gun fire is incredible, but it's also a grenade launcher, and it later becomes a flamethrower. Yeah, yeah, it's reminds me of that gun from Beverly Hills Cop Three, the Annihilator Two Thousand. Yeah, I I think it had a built-in microwave. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in in particular, when I think of the, the the impact that this movie had on video games, even with the Game Over Man line, 
which is ad-libbed by Bill Paxton, by the way. Um, I, I have to think of Halo. Halo is what I don't. I really don't think that game would exist without without this movie. With you got the Space Marines. Hell, Apon, the character of Apon in Aliens, that's your sergeant <laughs> in Halo. And it's it's so cool what what this movie did for that genre. Even though these types of games wouldn't come along for another seven or eight years, right? You know, so yeah, it's it's very cool. The radar. I don't remember any movie before this that had radar like that. And radar became a staple in video games later on. Yeah, it's you, know, you see that little bleep going along, and oh, oh you should probably get out of this room, right? And it's <laughs> and, and that's a th- oh my god, yeah, it it yeah that that really made that game because I'll tell you, like when you played Alien vs Predator and you were a marine, like and you were in a, a match like against a predator and an alien like you were just like oh my god like what like what really can i do and mm-hmm. and when that thing started going off you're like oh crap what is it i mean it could be the disc from the predator just coming out of nowhere and just slicing you oh, in half cool. or it could be just like yeah some alien just on the ceiling because that was dude in that game when you played as an alien like you had like three levels of vision and they're sort of well no you had two the, the predator had the three it had alien vision it had like uh, human vision. Human vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like from the movie, and then I think he even had like a predator vision to see other predators or something like that. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. But with the alien, what was fascinating was like how it took the elements of the movie. Like, okay, these things can crawl on the ceiling. They can crawl a, a number of different ways, and you could do that. And it was just like, yeah, you're. I mean, and of course, like you, your whole goal as an alien was just you always wanted to get in close, just so the second jaw would get ready and pop. You know, just, right. <laughs> oh man, I love that too. Because in, in Aliens, um, a- Aliens does a nice little tribute to the first movie where it has a fake out ending. But far and away, Aliens' fake out ending is is superior. And but during one of the of the bits where it's uh, Ripley in the what do you call that thing? Uh, the thing that they ripped it off in Matrix Revolutions. It's um, like an X. The power loader. Yeah, it's a power loader. There you go. Okay, so the alien. Or the alien queen's like grabbing her and trying to like get the little mouth out and bite her. Which anytime I've ever seen the little mouth come out and and get somebody, it doesn't bite them; it goes through them. Yeah, it's forceful. Like, like, I mean, it, it impales them. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Real real quick, because uh, we didn't talk about it. Um, I absolutely love the James Horner score for this flick. Uh, he borrowed bits and pieces of the material from Jerry Goldsmith and added his own thing. And you read up a little bit on, on the story of, of the score for this movie. And it's a miracle that this thing even came together. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I don't think like, I mean, his, um, one of his quotes, I think from it was like, it felt like it was only really 80% complete to him. And I the think score. it, and you mm-hmm. know, Cameron and, uh, it, and to me, it's a lot of the legacy of the movie is just James Cameron's meticulous attitude about making sure everything was exactly the way he wanted. I mean, that's what led to their kind of, you know, feud that, you know, kept them apart from doing projects until Titanic many years later. But mm-hmm. um, but I find this is what it gets the thing is so weird. He gets nominated for an Oscar for um, for this. Right. He gets nominated for uh, for doing Aliens. He's talking about a uh, Horner. Yeah. But not for Star Trek Two. No, but see, here's what I don't understand. Like, <laughs> like this past year, Michael Giacchino, like people were like, he should get nominated for Rogue One. Rogue One. There was a bit. There was a. There was kind of a rumbling, especially from because 
Giacchino is one of those dudes. Like it's like it's it's sort of like when you think about I don't know. You take, I, I, we'll take just wrestling for a second. When is Sting going to go to WWE? It's the only thing left for him to do. It felt like just like when is Michael Giacchino going to do Star Wars? And he kind of right. la- he's a last minute replacement. Now the thing is, he, he by a technicality. I believe he was not allowed to be nominated because he used stuff from John Williams' score. So that's why I found it weird. I was like, so what, that is weird. what is really the rule then? Because clearly that, that, that the, way that was in, the way that was interpreted by whoever said it is incorrect because James Horner, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Like, it's just you're, you're continuing on. Like, it, you're continuing on from the first movie. I think it's perfectly fine to borrow from a movie that comes in the series, like, before you and everything. So... I, I always thought that was just weird, but that to, doesn't make any sense because uh, the rule for directing, which I think I think that this needs to be changed, is you have if to be uh, to be even credited as a director on a movie, you have to have directed at least fifty one percent of the movie, which we learned when we did um, Superman two on the previous podcast. Right. You have to direct fifty one percent of a flick. Now, uh, that 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 doesn't that doesn't make sense because you know, we've been watching Rogue One all week. And the John Williams music is there, but my God, it's only in maybe three or four minutes of the movie. Right. It really yeah, is. It, so it's yeah. What is that about? And like another another weird. Like I just here's another weird example. The wrestler Bruce Springsteen song "Far oh, and Away" yeah. was the best song of that year, but because it was released like I, I don't know if it was because like it was released like on his own record before it got included in like I think that was it. Some weird technicality, and that's what mm-hmm. I don't understand about the Academy Awards. This is really off topic from Horner's thing, but just to sum it up again from your question, like. His score is really good, and it just like his his succession of scores like start really with Wrath of Khan on. He just gets better Absolutely. and better and better. Yeah, and, and yeah, nuts to sell the Wrath of Khan score short. That 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 might be my favorite of the of the Star Trek film scores. Like th- this guy was so good, and so good in fact that during the the, the finale of Aliens and and the real finale that that comes later on the Sulaco, uh, that. That piece of music has been used in so many different movie trailers. I remember the first time I heard it was on From Dusk Till Dawn. And that and I still say that's one of the coolest trailers ever. And they use that corner music. So and I saw that trailer before I ever saw Aliens. So yeah. I'm watching Aliens like, why are they using the From Dusk Till Dawn music? Right. <laughs> you know? You're right. And and Horner it it's it's weird. It, it's kind of related, but not really. Horner would reuse his own pieces over time. Um he he did the score for 48 hours and that is a wonderful piece of music. And then I heard it again years later when I finally saw commando. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it sounds exactly the same. I'm just like, what, what did he just take the 48 hour score? And then he did it again with uh, another 48 hours and just like, all right, that's what he likes. It sounds completely different from anything he's ever done, but it's, that is a very cool score as well. And that what 48 hours is the same year as star Trek. So, yeah, very cool. Um, in terms of the the legacy of the movie uh, with sequels, I don't know how you feel about it, for, for, but uh, for me, this for me is one of the top five sequels I've ever seen. And I say that because there were already good sequels that were around by the time this movie came out. You already had what Rockies two through four, Star Trek. You had up to five at or no, sorry, three at that point, and and so on and so forth. Halloween. Godfather. But the thing about Aliens that I think is so interesting is that it it might be one of the first ones 
where watching the original is not necessary. And it's not to downplay the original, because I absolutely think that's a movie that everyone should see. But you, you can watch this movie. Like, like when I watched it uh, for this for this episode, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen the original in probably three or four months, and so, so I was removed. But they go through everything that there is to go through within a very quick uh, one scene deal, and then it's it's on and forward, and it makes you look at the movie a little differently because there is a bit of doubt when it comes to Ripley's character, that she might just have lost her mind. So without seeing that first movie, it, it definitely seems plausible that she doesn't really have her wits about her. And I love that. And I love that this movie goes a completely different route from the original while taking the same concept. Like James Cameron, I really think was brilliant going, you know, that first, that first movie only had one alien. What if we had hundreds? And what if we had Marines fighting them? I, that's such a great, concept and it, and it really levels the playing field because they wipe out a few of these aliens no problem and it just makes me think of the first movie where it was so difficult for them to even get one but there's there's something about this movie I, I constantly come back to and it's it's such a wonderful movie that stands on its own from the original and I think that's the, the best compliment that you can give it because it's so hard to get that first movie out of your mind yeah, no, I think you, I think that I think that covers it. I mean, I don't think it can be said any more said any better than that. Yeah, yeah, and as I uh, as I said before, like when I think of Alien, when I think of the character of Ellen Ripley, it's really just from this movie. In the first movie, she is definitely a character; she's there and she's important, but you don't really know anything about her, and she's a supporting character at that. You know, with uh, Tom Skerritt being the lead. And I remember James Cameron, thank God he did this, but he said they wanted him to do the sequel to Alien and without any kind of script beforehand. And he said he wouldn't even go near it if he couldn't get Sigourney Weaver. Because it's the studio, in typical Hollywood studio fashion, didn't think Sigourney Weaver was necessary. And this gets into something that we talked about earlier. Uh, the Predator movies. The Predator movies, I truly believe, can, can do good and be good without Arnold Schwarzenegger, without Jesse the Body, Danny Glover, any of those people. It can be it can be good. Alien, as much as I love the concept, as much as I love how the whole mythology of the franchise works, I really only like it because of Sigourney Weaver. I, I can't I can't lie about that. It's the only reason I even remotely consider going back and watching three and four. I love watching her in these movies. And when you take her out of it, like they're going to do, uh, I believe it's, is it next month? we got the new Alien movie that Ridley Scott's doing. Right, I believe it is, yeah. yeah. See, these things are so confusing to me because, um, you know, he did Prometheus, which was, you know, it was all right. But now he's doing this. And instead of there being, of Ripley being in one of these movies, he gets someone who's Ripley light. Right, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, eh, just make it all guys if you just, if, you know, if you want to be different. Like, I love Numi Rapace, but... She's not. She's not Ripley. And there's. I think it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's in the next one, who I also really like. But I. You're just. You're just retreading the same ground. Like if I see a, a strong female lead, or what's supposed to be a strong female lead in one of these movies, it's just going to make me want Ripley. And it's because of Alien Covenant next month is the reason why we're not getting Alien Five at the moment with Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean, uh, which I thought was a brilliant idea. Where they just go, you know what? Let's just act like three and four didn't happen. 
Absolutely. I mean, which is probably going to have a Terminator whenever it finally happens again. Like, we're just going to oh, it'll probably boy. be a, dis- a disavowing of things. I think the legacy, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll try and be real, real concise with this. I think the uh, the great legacy of Ripley is this was the prototype to where Sarah Connor would go. True. It, True, because there is a big difference between Sarah Connor in the first movie, who's a wonderful character in that movie, and then the Sarah Connor we get in part two, yeah. which she actually, and that's one of the reasons I love that second movie so much, she actually becomes a Terminator, a human Terminator at, at one point, and luckily she realizes it before she actually terminates Dyson, right. and that's what causes her mental breakdown. It's such a great scene and a great little flip of the, of the coin. It, it, this is the kind of stuff James Cameron used to do. Right before he got it so far in his head, <laughs> like, like thirty-three years, seven movies. There's something wrong with that. There is, and I mean at the same time, like it's it's. Uh, I go back to like the guy calls his shot and he delivers. Like it's not like, you know, like it, it's weird. Like you know what's you know what's funny is like there there are two directors I've heard of where like we actually count the movies and make it a big point of talking about. It's Terrence Malick, Tarantino, and and Terrence Malick. Those are the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always like a big deal talking about how many movies they've done. And it kind of goes under the radar how many movies James Cameron's done. But again, man, like, I mean, you discount Piranha 2. And, and as much, <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's still plenty of people I know that want to just take a dump on Titanic. There's many more people who want to take a dump on Avatar. But you know what happened? They made tons of money. They made so much money huh? that it made people want to make a better movie so they could top it. And very rarely did it happen. I mean, now, of course, you know, because of... And, and I give Cameron the credit because he was the first one to really capitalize on 3D and turn it, like, really turn it on, like, turn a profit on it. You know what I mean? He, like, really, he's the one who made me pay attention to it. Yeah. You know, when, when he had his ideas, because I'll tell you, going to see Avatar in the theater was a treat. It really was. Like, seeing it on an sure, IMAX absolutely, screen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... It was an event. It's like, this is a James Cameron movie. Like, I haven't been to one of these since my parents were married. Like, that's how long it's been since there's been a James Cameron movie. So, I mean, it was an event. And, yeah, you can say what you want about the movie. I mean, it is it is what it is. But in terms of, te- of technical merits, it is a marvel. Yeah. Much like Titanic. Like, well, I, don't think, I don't think Titanic gets the credit it deserves when it comes to how practical that that movie was. And <laughs> which I think led to a lot of the frustrations and nightmares that, that happened on the set of that flick. But there, he is the king of the world. I mean, he's he said that in his acceptance speech for uh, Titanic. Like, he really is like this guy. He turns heads. Yeah, he, he, and, he really does. And, and I mean, when, uh, he he just delivers. I can't say that enough. Like, I mean, there's not there's so many directors, and 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 auteurs or whatever that um, that that they come in with all this sound and fury about this movie and. Guess what? It ends up flopping or ends up just disappearing. Like nobody cares about it. You care about a James Cameron movie, whether it's good or not. In terms, right? And, I, and when I say good or not, like critics, like I mean, I mean, he's. I don't. I don't even think critics have really been down on him overall. No. And I mean, maybe Avatar is the most, but at the same time, how much can they be if they nominated it for Best Picture? I think if you were to go on Rotten Tomatoes now, I believe from Terminator on, I think every single one of his movies is certified fresh. I think every single one is. And they're all two and a half hours at least. <laughs> right. That's what's amazing. Yeah, yeah. With the exception of the first Terminator, but like we said, right. like uh, right. I've always wanted him to release a special edition of that because the deleted scenes for the original Terminator are wonderful. Yes. Like they really they really are, and they add new depths to the story that are important that lead into the second movie. 
he's a brilliant filmmaker. One, like one, like the thing, the, the I think the highest compliment I can pay for him is he takes what on the surface is just uh, a mindless blockbuster movie, and he adds a, a bit of art to it. Like there is a real artistry to what he does with mainstream filmmaking. Now. I, I can give the same compliment to Michael Bay in a way because I love the way he uses color. Uh, he knows how to shoot things. He knows the way things should look. But that's as far as I'll go there. Cameron can – I can get just as much like emotional feelings from a movie that James Cameron does as opposed to somebody like, I don't know, Francis Ford Coppola in his heyday or, or an Alfred Hitchcock or somebody like that. And, and I think that's, that's what separates him from every, from every other mainstream filmmaker is that that's the, just the kind of work that he can do. And he's a true innovator. Like, like you said, he delivered on everything. Like, like I told you, True Lies was an obligation that he had to make. And it's one of his best movies, by far. No. And he was forced to do that movie. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's, just, he's just an amazing filmmaker. As a person, nah, whatever. But uh, you, you can't deny the art. So that about wraps it up, I think, for Aliens. You got, you got any final things to say about it, Will? I don't think so, man. I think we've we've gone way over on time. We ran but, a well, we ran a gamut on this one, but, but no, I think I I think you basically covered it all, and it, you know, yeah, I think you've covered it all pretty much in a nutshell there. So yeah, absolutely. If you had, what's your rating on a one to ten scale? Here's here's what's interesting. I give this movie an eight, but I guarantee you, I've watched Iron Eagle, and I would probably watch FX before I would watch Aliens again. That's well, how that I, is that is a fundamental difference. No, no. Like no, no, you're right. Like, look, look, like, hmm. Like, what, what's a good comparison? Um, let's take okay, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. All right, <laughs> I give that movie a six. I've seen that movie probably a hundred times. I give it a six though. Right. And then, and then there's Schindler's List, which I'd give a nine or a ten to. How many times have I seen that? Three or four. Yeah. Three or four. It's it's all about rewatchability. Right. And we and, and we, we we talked about this yesterday. It's like. Rewatchability, I think, is a movie's most important quality because that's what leads to sales over time and and desire to to revisit a film and and look at it again. And yeah, Aliens is a massive undertaking. It really is. I've I've seen the movie twice in three months now, and I'm just oh, I'm worn out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I I really am. I'm just like oh, I'm gonna give it some time before I come back to it. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that's that's just the kind of film it is. But so you give it an eight. Yeah. Okay, uh, for my rating, I'll give it a nine. I, I love this movie. It's great. It's and it's it's hard to pick a favorite James Cameron movie, but this one would certainly be up there. And uh, that about wraps it up for Aliens. This was fun. This was fun to discuss. Yeah. Um, don't let's see. So let's get our goodbyes in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Real Change Pod. We will be coming back. For our next episode, we will be covering the month of August, and we're going to be looking at Rob Reiner's Stand By Me. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at CM underscore Stabs. And I am at William Rinkin 83 And we'll see you next episode for Stand By Me.